Ivan Decker. Hello. Uh, just before we turned off our videos, you were drinking from a comically tiny little cup. Tiny little coffee cup. Well, you know, in some countries, this is normal sized. So, <laughs> because the people are smaller, or because yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm the biggest man in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but only when it comes to heart. Um, That's right. It's actually very dangerous. <laughs> we're, we're yeah, I should for... really stop eating so many meat pies. <laughs> I uh, oh, you're hitting a little close to home there because I was supposed that was literally the one Christmas related uh, food uh, errand that I had was I was supposed to track down um, uh, tortilla. We in our house we divide up all shopping by ethnicity. Yeah, and, that makes sense. Yeah, and <laughs> I. Uh, uh, Kara lined up by a huge uh, uh, delivery of barbecue pork buns and totally put me to shame. I, I did not, um, I, I, for, I completely forgot to uh, shop for tortier for so we have had none for the oh, no. uh, Christmas season. Pas de tortier. Yeah, no, pas de tortier. So I actually, my Désolé. <laughs> it's a little bit uh, sad. My daughter has been hooked up to an IV of Creton. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, get some Happy Town soup, stat. <laughs> yes, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a much better liquid. That's a much funnier <laughs> liquid for her to be uh, hooked up to a French Canadian IV of um, of pea soup. I mean, it's a little <laughs> on the nose, but uh, it's. She actually has turned into, uh, she doesn't like it when I call her this, but I've been calling her um, Josephine Parizeau because um, <laughs> she gets mad at us when we speak English around the house now. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, she uh, Block, mini block. <laughs> yes, she's gone full PQ to, uh, to the extent <laughs> that she literally at one point uh, this Christmas season wanted us to remove uh, one of my grannies uh, um, from the English side, uh, one, I have an old uh, Christmas decoration of my grannies that says no humbugs allowed and uh, we hang it on the front uh, door and uh, she wanted it taken down. <laughs> because it was in english uh, oh my so, goodness yeah it's um but she's really quite um uh, last year she because she goes to francophone school mm -hmm. and um she uh you know there there are kids in the school who are uh, i will uh cop to this they they are more francophone than her uh, yeah. you know yeah when i went to french immersion it was all kids who like were born in paris and I was just like some farm kid, like, oh, bonjour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are. Um, so, okay. So, so this is, so, so, so okay. You, you were, of course, in, in Ladner. And we, and we should make this, we should really make this more about you. And so well, let's do that instantly after, uh, after um, just about 11 more minutes from me. But yes. um, I, <laughs> <laughs> the, so this is what I'm saying. She goes to school. It's not French immersion. French immersion is theoretically for all children to learn French. She yeah. School for francophone kids, like kids who are drinking from little coffee cups like you've got uh, yeah. uh, in the morning and breakfast, and then they go, hey, it's time for school, and put out their <laughs> cigarette and go to school. Like, they, like it's for kids who are supposed to be like free, speaking French at home. Yeah. And uh, where then they we, go to school and they learn about revolution. And, and existentialism. and Four-day yeah. work weeks. <laughs> yeah. The, um, their school mascot, they're the, uh, um, the East Van Sartres. <laughs> 
the sports uh, team is JPS. JPS. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, you, we are being, you are nothing. <laughs> she, she, uh, um, uh, so, so when she started, cause we, we, I look, I used to read to her in French when she was a baby and I would sing to her in French. Uh, you know, I've sung to her in French kind of all her life. And sometimes I would speak to her in French and occasionally she would speak to my dad or my grandmother in French on the phone, but we're not, we're not exactly what this school system has entirely in mind i mean a lot of the kids are in the same boat as her but she mm-hmm. um i so but when she started she was having a lot of trouble and 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 she was frustrated because the all the kids in our co-op go to the same school and that would be the school that she would go to yeah. if she were going to school in english so she was kind of down on it and she has since just become super french girl and like that's great yeah 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 so she loves it and it's and it's like a big part of how she you know conceives of herself and and um you know it's so and it's been great but it has been so irritating because (laughs) anytime i just like turn to kara and say like oh hey so um uh, did you want to have yams tonight or or are we doing pads she goes believe me that is cute for about seven seconds um yeah and, hey, uh, well, I, I feel for her because, uh, you know, I went through a similar thing. I just never turned the corner that she turned. I was just uh, trapped in this middle ground um, and just kind of never figured it out. I only had two years. But, yeah, it was the same sort of thing where, like, all my all my friends, I actually moved school. So I started school going to, to the same elementary school as all the kids in my sort of cul-de-sac area mm-hmm. and then cul-de-sac being a french term yeah so you should have been at least have had that. <laughs> i did i came in with three words <laughs> yeah in cul-de-sac my vocab. is um uh, the french term for vasectomy <laughs> it's when uh there's an organized cull of uh, yeah you know um so you and and so situate um because people see you, they see you on TV, they see you in your fancy three-piece suits with your latte yes. and your yeah, liberal politics. <laughs> and, uh, my they, Subaru Forester and my public radio. They think you, uh, so here's a guy who was born in the lower penthouse of a Yale Town condominium. And that's not remotely uh, uh, where you're from. No, I'm from... Uh, Coal Harbor. Yes. <laughs> No, I'm several from, blocks I'm from, away I'm from Ladner. Um, I don't know if this uh, little anecdote gives you an idea of where I'm from, but one time uh, I was crossing the street and there was a muskrat also crossing the street with me, and it did not seem to care that I was there. And then I went to a pet store and asked if they lost a pet because I saw a <laughs> muskrat, and the guy was like, "Get out of here! Where are your shoes?" So <laughs> I grew up on the bayou of the Fraser River. Um, the Fraser River Delta. So it's sort of a, a the western half of, of Ladner is kind of like the farms and the fisheries. And, uh, you know, we would clean fish boats in the summer as a job. Uh, my brother actually got a job gutting one, one summer. That's kind of like the fisher, fishing equivalent of, I guess, going to the oil patch when you're younger. 
mm-hmm. was like you get on a fish boat as an opening. I forget what the job is called. It had a name, but it was like basically you go out and the stories that my brother told were basically like he's on the back of this boat ship. I don't know. They'd probably be mad. No, I, 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 yeah, I think it's a boat at that. Or, or no, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, I guess if it, is it big enough to sleep on? Yeah. Like, like a bunch of people in different rooms? Well, I think it's just the two of them. Maybe okay, three, three like man crew. That uh, actually whole... sounds like uh, Billy Budd uh, by uh, Herman Melville. <laughs> yeah, he was basically Relic from <laughs> the Beachcombers. <laughs> no, but you stood on the back of the boat and just like gutted fish for like three weeks. And then you came back to town and bought a truck. That was like the, the deal. <laughs> and immediately flipped the truck, opened it from uh, 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 back to front. Yes. And uh, pulled the insides of it up. That's right. Pulled out the catalytic converter. That's the best part. It's a delicacy. I, I um, never did anything like that with um, animals, but I used to work um, in, a, in a warehouse where um, uh, they would go around finding old discarded pallets, like skids. Oh, for, yeah. Um, and then, uh, so my job was to take apart the old skids and then the other guy pieced together new skids. Oh, pretty good. With the existing. And I still, anytime I see a skid on the, on the um, ground, uh, it can't, and that's the thing. It has to be on the ground. It can't be floating. I have to see it on the ground <laughs> <laughs> every time. It has and, to be subject to the effects of gravity. <laughs> yeah, uh, no I still theoretically impossible skids. No, which is also my favorite punk band <laughs> from high school. <laughs> we are the theoretically impossible skids. Through <laughs> you, Your Majesty. But sorry, to go back to finish my little story, is basically like in, in the sixth grade, grade six for the Canadian listeners. Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, I was a junior in high school. Is that? I don't know how America works. But uh, I <laughs> went to... Yeah. Uh, we went to something called Late Immersion, which was an idea where it was like in grade six and seven, you would move into being fully immersed in French. Um, and it was supposed to go a little bit slower. But mm-hmm. my school, uh, there was not enough interest in this ridiculous program that would never work. So I was like one of three children in it. So mm-hmm. they just decided to amalgamate us with the kids who had been in French since kindergarten. And so I just got thrown into the deep end of French. And, and so for those two years... I learned exactly nothing. Uh, in French, of course, the word for pool is piscine. And it <laughs> sounds like you were piscine your pants. <laughs> yes, precisely. Oh, that is, uh, and uh, you know, I'm trying to think what you learn in grade six and grade seven. Um, and uh you know oh i by the way i also got a's in english that was my fav- my favorite class <laughs> <laughs> it, like they just really let them out for english yeah That's i did where very Evans well off the leash <laughs> i did very oh, well in the english class but the rest of it i had no idea what was even happening were you back to english uh for high school yeah so in high school i left um i left french immersion and I got moved up one grade 
in French because I had to do, you know, you have to go back to taking French as just like a class. Right. And then I was like back in, it was just like back in grade six again, even though I was in, I think I was in grade nine French in grade eight, but I was still just learning like il a to a. So I've, I can conjugate whatever that verb is called. <laughs> Pretty well. Nous avons, vous avez. <laughs> I've redone that six times. <laughs> You're like um, uh, like a like a father moved into a room where he's not in charge of the thermostat, but of French. <laughs> like the French in the room is never at the right level. For you. Yeah, like it's always just slightly. Yeah, exactly. Why is it always either a little too French or a little too English in here? Yeah. And I had uh, this great Quebecois teacher. She was fantastic. Um, but like, yeah, just we had no ability to communicate whatsoever because I don't think she spoke English very well. <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm also thinking of this woman's life in the off hours in Ladner. Well, I know. That's the thing. There was one other uh, Francophone teacher and she taught uh, the younger grades um, and every, they would smoke, of course, at recess. Mm-hmm. They would walk around the block of the school and smoke. Um, but yeah, I'm wondering. I think they commuted in. She must have lived in the city. There's no way she lived in Ladner. <laughs> she came in every day with a, a big baguette tied across the top of her purse. <laughs> she's, right. on a, she's sitting side saddle on a bicycle. <laughs> I've just arrived from the uh, f- fish gutting boat. <laughs> Yeah, she rode a moped. (laughs) Um, uh, I uh, so how does how does a hillbilly boy from a fish gutting, um, uh, uh, you know, Sticksville uh, end up, um, you know, being uh, Canada's uh, stand-up comedy darling? Oh well, uh, if you figure that out, let me know. Um, (laughs) I'm still working on that one. I. I was very interested in the city as an idea. And I think I have my, my mother to thank for that. And my dad, my dad uh, was in, well, he lived in the city. So right. he was kind of like, my parents got divorced when I was seven. And my, I was only my, giggling because you just, you covered both parents, but separate, yeah. separately. And then that to me was grammatically funny the way you had structured that. But I didn't want anyone <laughs> to think that I was laughing at your childhood trauma. No, no. But I think not I at my all. mother to think. To think yeah, I know. And I did say it weird. I was like, and hey, he was my siblings. Yeah. <laughs> but my mom was big. Like, she was kind of the most important because she always kind of instilled this idea that uh, this small town that we lived in was not the uh, extent of the world, which I think was a very important thing to say because it's like, you know, she would basically say, in not so many words, like someday you're going to get out of this town. So if, mm. if, if something's wrong, if, if you're not uh, getting along with the kids at school, cause you know, in a bigger city, you have much more opportunity to make friends because there are lots of different types of people. Whereas in this one small town, everybody's kind of set. It was like, if I didn't play hockey, that was it. I had no friends. Mm. And so. And did you play hockey? I did not. Mm. Uh, it was a very expensive sport back then. I know now it's like a little easier because they can do like equipment swaps and stuff. But for a growing kid, there was not really any way for me to get the gear and like be able to play and ice time. All that stuff was, was pretty rare uh, or uh, financially prohibitive, let's say. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, I did not play hockey. So 
but my mom was like, I was born in Montreal. So my parents lived, they met and lived in Montreal first, then they moved out West. So I think my mom had a little bit of that Montreal. She kept, she would talk about Montreal a lot growing up and sort of fill in like, don't worry, this big city is better, you know, in Montreal, this or that. And she's, she's very uh, artistic and involved in, in the arts. And so I was just so thankful that she was able to kind of give me that path that I could kind of, she's like, don't worry, some you'll get out of here. And then it's, it, just like, uh, you know, so this, as soon as I got a car, got my license, I was like, all right, I'm out of here. And that's why I started stand up at, at 18. So I was driving, I would just drive into the city. That's why I saw you for the first time was at uh, on commercial drive. Um, and I just kind of showed up and I loved this world. It was like, it was like nothing that could possibly exist in a town like Ladner. And it was just so fun to me to like get to come into the city and be in this place with grownups. And I was like, thank God I'm not with my idiot friends who just want to drink lemon gin and tip over mailboxes. Well, now I feel bad for hazing you. That, that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hold yeah. Down. Shave his armpit. <laughs> you beat um, me with that pillowcase full of microphone filters. <laughs> I uh, th- that's so funny with the, about, the, about the like sort of the spectral um, presence of Montreal in your life because it was that is was totally true for me as well um, because dad my dad was from Montreal I mean he, he, the funny thing is he was from just outside of Montreal and so it would have been like I was sort of living in the suburbs just mm-hmm. outside of the city I mean we spent a lot of time in the city like on weekends and stuff like that and so. Yeah, I, I grew up with that same feeling of like, we're just outside the action, but but it's close. But also that the real action um, it w- was back east. And and that was always the plan was that I was going to move to Montreal. And, and Montreal was like the big sophisticated city that our family was really from. Mm-hmm. Um, even though on my mom's side, we've been in Montreal, we've been in Vancouver since, I mean, but, but my, my grandparents both went to John Oliver. Um, wow. uh, we literally, when I, when I, um, pick up Josephine from, from school, we come back, uh, and pass by Van Tech, which is the high school that my grandmother, um, graduated from. Wow. So I literally to pick her up, um, we, we, crossed the very first street I ever lived on and then drive by her great grandmother's like alma mater high school uh, graduate. So, so there was, there was this weird thing for me of my twenties were all about like sort of making peace with the fact that I actually um, was this Vancouver boy in, 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 really in the marrow of my bones and that and that Montreal even though it was the city that I had this deep deep affection for and was really kind of part of who I was in this kind of nebulous way was not um home but I kind of had this like next year Jerusalem thing of yeah we were the Montreal diaspora like and 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 we one day we would be rightfully restored to like yeah. Yeah. Bagels and, and, ma- <laughs> and mafia. Oh, yeah. Bagels. And... My mom, for some reason, jaywalking was a big part of her. <laughs> yeah. Like we would be in Vancouver on the weekend and I'd be like, don't cross. It's a red light. She'd be like, ah, in Montreal, they jaywalk all the time. And I was like, I don't believe you. And then I went to Montreal and I was like, oh, man, was she ever right? People yeah. there jaywalk like it was 
bestowed upon them. Oh yeah, but they did want. But also, uh, there's there's also no expectation of like in in Vancouver, if you make a, ba- a bad move as a pedestrian. A, a driver will kind of like roll their eyes or kind of like they'll slow down as they're like, Oh, you asshole. But yeah, in my, in Montreal, you're just like, you're going on their hood. <laughs> it's a yeah. Hobbesian war of all against all <laughs> in every traffic situation. The only, the other thing about, uh, uh, Quebec, uh, uh, traffic that I can still not wrap my head around even remotely is, um, uh, speeding up for the off ramp. Yeah, that blows my mind. It doesn't. Even, I don't even understand. Like, why would you speed up to get off the highway? Like, it just it it. Every time I'm there, but uh, I'm <laughs> I think just... it's like a rabbit in one of those snare traps because it's narrowing. <laughs> They're like, I gotta get out of here, and then they speed up. Everyone's having a panic attack. Yeah. <clears throat> I've got to get out. <laughs> I'm having trouble breeding. <laughs> of course, a rabbit's not going to have trouble breeding. <laughs> um, I've, um, I'm also remembering a time driving in traffic. Driving in traffic. Good uh, uh, good construction there. Um, I, I, we, we were in traffic, uh, a traffic jam in, in Montreal in the middle of the afternoon. And... Uh, my friend uh, Gregory, something happened and he turns and he starts swearing at the, the guy that, <laughs> who offended him with his driving somehow. And the man who was wearing shades just very calmly looked at him and said, which means uh, go take a shit. <laughs> and it was so instantly disar- disarming that even Greg was like, well, he got the best of me. <laughs> He absolutely that. came away with the best of that uh, interaction. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes it's not so much what you say, it's how you say it, the environment, like if it's so, which I think is also what we dabble in as comedians, the idea of constructing this perfectly formed thing that makes enough sense, but is also, you know, obtuse enough to evoke that reaction. Hmm. Well, I, I, even as you were saying that, I'm just thinking. Uh, this is a perfect segue to ask you about um, about your year because uh, I feel like so. I have in in speaking to stand up comedians, it's like every I've had every answer. Uh, you know, in, in in sort of casual conversation with I've, I've, uh, people who have not told a joke since March twelfth versus people who seem to be doing almost more work than they, I mean, maybe not more work, but I mean, I'm just constantly doing these like zoom shows and whatever. I think I've been in this kind of maybe at the no shows since March end of the middle. Um, Mm -hmm. Where have you been and what are you doing? I think I've done about five or six zoom shows and there was a time in the middle of the summer when things kind of calmed down a little bit or so we thought when mm-hmm. I did, uh, I got to do two comedy clubs weekends with, uh, wow. you know, socially distant crowds, people wearing masks. Uh, you wear a mask till you get on stage, you stay away from the audience. And so I did get to do a few live shows. Oh, and I've also done, a couple of 
TV tapings, which was very weird because, I mean, as you know, when you're preparing for a taping, mm-hmm. um, you get one shot when you're on stage, right? So they, they turn the camera on and that's it. So you have to make sure that everything you're doing is, is perfect. I ended, <clears throat> I ended a, a TV taping with a joke that I had told once. Yeah. In the night before to six people. Yeah. Um, it's, it's insane. It's yeah. very outside of what we're normally doing. Unprecedented. Stand-up is a tinker's paradise. Mm-hmm. You know, you're constantly making tiny adjustments to every joke always. Like or at Julio least I am. I don't know yeah. how everybody's process works. But for me, it's like a constant experiment with too many variables. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. I'm sure there's a more efficient way. But... A lot of it is based off of feel of the audience and feel off of if you've told those jokes before. And so to be in a situation where you haven't had the sufficient sample size with which to draw a conclusion on the best version of each joke, it, uh, it's very daunting. And you just kind of have to hope for the best. Mm-hmm. And, and, then, and so have the Zoom shows been this fall? Yeah, the Zoom shows have been uh, more recent. Um, And, you know, they're all right. And a few of them, I've done a mix of like everyone's muted versus there is some unmuted uh, laughter coming back at me. Um, And they're all weird. Mm -hmm. There's nothing, the the thing was, so the first show I did back was in August. Um, So I'd gone March to August without telling a joke on stage. Now, I do joke around a lot around the house with my fiance, but that's entirely different. It's a yeah, it's not the same sort of thing. I mean, I, I think it would be very different if I was just like alone. There is some laughter. Definitely the first time I got a laugh from a stranger was a very visceral moment for me. Like I was in an ice cream store and I made some comment about the music and the girl behind the counter laughed. And it felt like I had just done a drug that i was addicted to i was like oh my god that felt amazing (laughs) like an unsolicited like honest laugh um but so the first show i did back was very strange because i was in montreal i did a a drive-in theater everybody was like kind of in their cars i still have yet to even all the shows i've done i have yet to do a real kind of like the way it was sort of show like full audience and all of the these options that we have available to us, although they are better than nothing, pale in comparison to what it was like. Because in order to prepare for this drive-in show in Montreal, I had a recording just on my phone of a club I did in Philadelphia back in February. Yeah. Of like the Saturday, you know, sold out 8 p.m. show. And... It was insane. Like, just even listening to it, I was like... And I remember at the time being like, ah, it wasn't a very good show. Now I was like, I would kill somebody to get to experience that show yeah. again. Those, yeah. There's nothing in the world like a full, dangerous, droplet-sharing audience. Yeah. <laughs> Packed to the gills, uh... The energy in there is incredible. And I, I cannot wait to have that back again. And yeah, it's like 
you know, it's like you quit drinking coffee and then all these, it's like all these Zoom shows and stuff are like chamomile tea. You're like, yeah, it's hot and it's a liquid, but it's not doing the thing I need it to do. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah, it's, uh, well, it reminds me of the um, uh, Boots Riley uh, uh, rap lyric, uh, pissing in your gumbo and they tell you it's all gravy. Uh, yeah. in, in terms of hot liquids, chamomile tea <laughs> is not what immediately jumps to mind. Um, it, it's, it's, uh, but also uh, in terms of creative development, it's difficult, right? As yeah. I'm sure. I mean, you wrote a book. You're the most prolific person I know. Well, no, um, I, but this is the thing. It's like, it's like the light from a dead star, right? Like, uh, it, the book was written before any of this happened. Like the book, okay. the book was supposed to come out in April. So, so it, it was held and so, so it, it's, I'm now writing again, uh, like I'm getting some stuff, but, but the, the other thing is, right, like I had a, you know, I had, had a kid home with me from yeah. uh, March to June and then all through the summer. And then, um, uh, and, and, you know, my, my wife's job, thank God, has, has not been affected except that she's doing it from home. And if, if that weren't the case, uh, we wouldn't have <laughs> groceries. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 um, um, and you know, I had a, I had a really good 2019. And if that hadn't happened, this this would have been. Um, but it, but it's already been like an extinction event in terms of uh, I, um, uh, what what it's done in, in in terms of you know I don't even want to look at at the numbers. Um, yeah. But. Uh, and then I also feel like if if I can hold out until comedy starts again, I just feel like it's going to be like it's going to be a renaissance. Like yeah. people are just they're going to be uh, and and like not only is it going to be like the own the the people who are still doing comedy after you know whatever it's going to end up being eighteen months or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know it is going to be hard to get the momentum going again after it starts up again. But I do think one people are going to be hungry to get back um, in the clubs. I know there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of talk about like, Oh, people are going to be psychologically hesitant to get back into spaces. And I, I mean, I've been wrong about literally every single thing to do with uh, COVID so far. So maybe I'll be also wrong about this, but I I feel (laughs) like, I feel like, um, People are just starving to get back. Um, and, yeah, and- in the limited experience I had with the, the clubs that I did in the summertime, there was that, you felt that from yeah. the crowds. And they I were. Say, I say all of this with the caveat of like, I absolutely support the restrictions that yes. that, that exist right now. I'm not. As do I. I. And and I really get frustrated because I, I have spoken to some comedians who are, are talking about this as though it's like, you know, uh, you know, uh, this thing that, that some sort of tyranny that we have. Yeah, to, yeah. Um, like it has anything to do with freedom of speech. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, I mean, try speech while you're intubated and tell me how that works. But, um, yeah. <laughs> but, but I, the other thing is, I just think that audiences on the other side of this are going to be so much fun because yeah. everyone is just going to want to laugh like it, yeah. it, it is it is going to be um 
uh, you know, it's, it's just going to be like, get on stage and be as silly as possible from the moment you get to the microphone. Yeah. And forget about everything outside, which is kind of where comedy has thrived, right? The booms always followed these kind of events where people became glued to what's happening in the world. And when you can offer that escape for, you know, a limited amount of time, of course, people still need to be paying attention to what's happening in the world. But yeah, when you can offer this kind of full shutout and it's, you know, it occupies your senses uh, and you don't really have to think too hard, at least with my comedy, um, <laughs> But you know, people, pretty, no. I'm serving it up pretty easy. <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think that's uh, the right way of putting it. But <laughs> I, I think it's it's about like um, it, it's 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 about delivering something to to people in a way that is already um, that has already been uh, thought about their pleasure. In, in the way it's been put together. Like it's, um, y- you know, my dad would uh, sometimes use a blender to get the vegetables into food that I was eating as a kid because I, mm. um, you know, it, like, um, I, which is not to say that you're using subterfuge or anything like that with an, uh, a comedy audience, you in particular, or comedians in general, but like there are elements about what you're talking about that are, um, you know, like you, like that bit that you were working um, about, uh, you know, everybody goes after boomers and, and um, you know, everybody gives boomers this hard time about ruining the earth and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, they went to school every day for 20 years and were told to hide under their desk in case there was a, a, a nuclear bomb. Like, um, that gets at the major anxiety about climate change, about nuclear Armageddon, about uh, how our uh, our personal selfishness is uh, driven by our deep existential dread and fear. All <laughs> like all kinds of big things. Like you're not you're not you know tossing marshmallows around, but um it's it's done in a way where uh it's it's uh it's like carrot cake you know like it's uh it's i don't know you know that i love what you do and yeah you're very kind i uh it's uh it's an interesting it's my favorite thing to talk about and i know that uh listeners may have jumped off uh because this rabbit hole that i constantly go down is i'm not sure if it's uh as interesting to people uh, not inside of it, but uh, God, I love it. It's my favorite because it's such an endless, the pursuit of like the ultimate joke to me is like such a fun kind of path. And it's not like I ever want to get there. Mm-hmm. Nice, but. Oh, and you won't. <laughs> you with your skills? Impossible. Yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> I, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, why I seem so jaded. <laughs> it's because I got there, you know, three weeks in. That's right. Three I know, weeks I'm, in the comedy, I, don't know if you I have the this. ultimate joke. I have this feeling that I'm always like, oh, I was a better comedian two years ago. But I've had that feeling my whole career. So it's like so weird 
that I, it's clear that I am growing, mm-hmm. but I'm also like obsessed with this idea that I'm like, I've gone past it. I should have, you know. See, I have the exact opposite feeling. And I like, I, when I'm, as I'm articulating this, it's going to sound like overconfidence. And what I mean is the exact opposite of confidence. It's, it's the, it's the, it's the being stunned to the place of like, Oh, I, I somehow managed that. Uh, that will never happen again. But uh, to me, it's always like, well, that was it. What I just did. That's the funniest. Yeah. Uh, and, and so now I have to figure out. Oh, I have do that for the next 20 years. Good show anxiety. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's that curse where you're like, Oh man, that was great. If only I was able... That's why it's like all the movies about like an artist achieving their zenith. You know, you watch like Eight Mile or uh, Whiplash, that drumming one. It's always like it culminates in this like crazy performance that they do. And it's like, wow. But it's like in real life, (laughs) you do a performance. It could be the best thing ever. Immediately, there are people like, can you do that again? (laughs) (laughs) How are you going to monetize that? Yeah, yeah. You should do that tomorrow also. You're like, oh, man. <laughs> or there's another show in, in 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a- even worse on the set. I mean, you and I have, have talked about the fact that the Saturday Late Show should not exist at nauseum, but it's like, yeah. This it's is what the- I would love to give all comedians is like, if I ever had a billion dollars, just buy out the, the Saturday Night Late Show. <laughs> Of every club in North America. And if you wanted to do it, if you were one of those like sickos who like needs the stage time or whatever, fine, yeah. get up on stage and do it. But you would never have to do it. Because to me, it's a, it's a lose-lose proposition. If you had a bad early show, then you got to go out again and do that again. Um, yeah. I mean, sometimes you get to feel the redemption and that's nice, but it's, it's always you go out with the dread. Um, or you had a great early show and then it's made completely anticlimactic by the fact that, uh, you know, it's time yeah. to go nuts. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, uh, well, The only time I enjoyed both shows, one of the only, I guess, but I think the, probably the most significant for me was my taping for my Netflix special. So, through some sort of divine luck, I was able to have two good sets. Wow. At a TV taping. Yeah. And I mean, again, it goes against what I said earlier, but for the longer sets, for the special, uh, you got to do two and edit them together. And it's unbelievable how good the second show felt and looked based on the fact that the first one went well and I was like, okay, we got it. Now so we do it again. it's all gravy. This is why, you know, movie makers do more than one take is because you have the first set. You're like, all right, it's in the bag. Now I can relax. And then so that when they're going, the only problem is like, you don't get to enjoy it. They're like day, the very next day, they're like, okay, here's the files. Start editing. So I had to, you know, pick like which of the two is the better show to use as the backbone. And then we can change out you know, little bits from the first show if it was better on that show. But they were like, you know, which which show is better overall? And I was like, well, it's show number two. Does anybody pick one? Because having that feeling of like, it was good, 
now we can do the second, like, I look even on video, audio, not so much, but on video, it is so much more evident that I am like having a better time on the second Visibly show. relaxed. Keep that, in, that in mind, I also did not move my left arm for the first 10 minutes of the 25 minute special, but that <laughs> is beside, I promise you, I was even looser on that one. <laughs> Uh, well, if people are, uh, coming to the end of this podcast and wondering where they can get more Ivan Decker whilst, uh, under semi lockdown, they can watch that Netflix, uh, special. It is on comedians of the world. Uh, they can also, uh, download your, uh, Juno winning, uh, comedy album. I want it to be a dinosaur. Uh, what else can they do, Ivan? Well, um, I have a uh, podcast called Satan's Lawyer. We've done two seasons of it. It's a scripted podcast where we attempt to defend the indefensible. Um, it's very fun. We have some great guests on it. Um, a myriad of, of hilarious people from around the globe. Uh, you can find that wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, I also have another podcast that I'm in the works of reviving uh, called Science Us, which is myself and uh, hilarious comedian Peter Carlone attempting to dissect um, science news, which is uh, also pretty exciting and fun. Um, so to stay tuned for awesome. that. I don't really have... Uh, it's going to be a video. It'll be on uh, YouTube. And then also you can download the audio version of it, but we're, we're attempting to do it... Um, high production value, which is why it's taking a very long time because we need to be in the same room to record episodes and that hasn't been allowed for quite some time. Yeah, well, Peter Carlone is uh, extremely funny and you guys are great together. And uh, I love you and science. That to me is, it's, always, it's been my dream that uh, when uh, Bob McDonald retires on his own uh, time and schedule, I, I'm not rushing Bob McDonald out the door because I think he's terrific. Uh, but I, I feel like you as the host of Quirks and Quarks would just be um, mwah, like just oh, such a great uh, what a dream. Uh, yeah. So from my uh, <laughs> microphone to the ears of um, whoever, uh, uh, Richard Sturzberg, <laughs> he's still, <laughs> he's four times ago, right? Who makes the call? Yeah. Uh, I think it's Radio just the queen, World. right? It, it, like ultimately it's yes. the queen of England. Who, Directly. Um, I mean, she can veto anything. Yeah. So that's the nice thing. Her say goes. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but. A sovereign the, nation of hers. The queen's veto is an actual Italian guy. <laughs> We go, hey, hey, queen, we're going to go eat the, we're going to go uh, eat the corgis. He comes down and makes sure everybody's capicola is spicy enough. <laughs> hey, Prince Philip, um, you want me to top up your <laughs> tiny cup of coffee? Uh, that's the, uh, I tried to do a um, <laughs> little nice tie around. Uh, uh, yeah, it was perfect. Uh, began and ended with the tiny cup of coffee. Just a little Mediterranean. This is pretty, um, this is a great, I think this is, is very well done. Thank Perfect you. Little little bow on the end. No editing. We did it. I had to mute my microphone at one point because my bird clock went off. Hopefully, uh, people can listen clock? for that. It's a clock that plays a different bird sound every hour. Oh wow, that's pretty neat. I uh, uh, people will have uh, astute listeners will have heard um, the uh, adorable pathos-filled knocking at the door of a small child uh, that oh. was. Um, 
uh, coolly and cruelly uh, ignored by her father, who uh, yeah carried on with his podcast like some sort. <laughs> well, I'm sure she was just furious that she heard uh, the Queen's English coming from <laughs> behind that door. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love you, man. And uh, love you too, pal. Thank you very much for doing this. And uh, of course. I can't, can't wait to be in the same room as you. Yeah, myself as well. Take care. Bye bye.